Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grade, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. junior off the top we keep all the receipts and i hate to be this guy because off the top i'm just gonna say i think yasmani grandal is primed for a bounce back breakout whatever you want to categorize it season there's there's a number of reasons why number one it's really hard to be worse than a 570 ops that he had last year so the bar is extremely low to begin with Number two, health, and I hate harping on this every single time, but we're going to do it every single time we talk about the White Sox because, as we know, that's the White Sox way. Health is always going to be most important. I think Grandal has the most confidence that he's had in a long time about how healthy he actually is. He worked in the offseason almost seven days a week for at least, I think it was six weeks, maybe more, with the Blackhawks strength coach, Paul Goodman, at Fifth Third Arena here in the city. He didn't go back to Florida. He didn't go to Cuba. He didn't go and do anything else in the offseason. He worked his ass off and he got back into the shape that he said he hasn't been since maybe even before his Milwaukee days. Um, When we saw Grandal healthy and carrying this team in the second half of 2021, the guy had like an 1100 OPS. Number one, the shift is going to help him this year. Number two, his health ideally will help him this year. Number three, it's a contract season. We all know that once you get to that veteran status, you're looking for that one more big payday. And I think Yasmani Grandal is going to earn it. I don't know if it's going to be with the White Sox. I don't know if I even want it to be with the White Sox. I'm rooting for Grandal this year to have the biggest bounce back season. That includes Moncada. That includes uh, Giolito. That includes Joe Kelly. He might have the most difficult time doing it. But I think he's primed to have a big bounce back and help this White Sox team to an 80 and 82 record. Mm. Although I'm not, I'm not sold yet on that record. But that's, that's my grand all take. We ran the poll today on the blackout. Uh, Jay, let's see the poll. Uh, who's going to have the biggest bounce back season in 2023? Uh, I voted for Lucas Giolito personally, which is kind of counter um, to what I'm just saying hey, right bro. now with grand all. But Mankata was the winner. And Jay, that's your boy. Joe Kelly, to me, I think has the easiest path. But that's my spiel. Yasmani Grandal having a bounce back year. Jay, show us the spring stats. Like, I don't want to get too into 
uh, overestimating what guys are doing in end of February and early March. But Grandal looks healthy. He's pulling the ball for power. Um, it's just good to see that he looks like the guy that we wanted him to be. So that's my spiel. Now yeah. feel free to bury me. And obviously, we've got the receipts. No. Uh, it is what it is. I'm not. No what? Go ahead, OJ. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to bury you. I'm not going to bury you. I, I oh, think good. that yes. this money grows all. No, I'm, I'm, this is why I'm not going to bury you, because Chicago White Sox fans love guys that have done well for one or two years, and then they, you know, that's the guy that's going to make a comeback. Jasmine Grandal's been doing this for 11 seasons, guys. 11 seasons. This is season number 12. The only two years that he's not produced at the average, at least, of his numbers have been due to injuries. The guy looks great. You look him walking on the field. So even if he's just average and he's himself average-wise, career-wise, he's going to have a better year. The guy had a negative 1.4 war for crown allowance. Just Monty Grandal is the real deal. And here's the thing. He is a free agent. So he is going to be producing. And maybe the White Sox sign him again. Maybe it's another team. But I think out of this whole group, if I had to pick one player that has done it before over and over and over again, he knows what he's bringing to the field is just Monty Grandal. So I'm all about it. Yeah. Uh, Slav, you alluded earlier to guys taking advantage of the shift. And that's what I see, too. Like, there's going to be a lot of cheap base hits right over the second baseman's head for him, especially batting left-handed. And if you're going to play that rover-style defense where you're bringing your left fielder into that shift second baseman role, Yaz has power to left field. So everything is going to get to the warning track automatically if he hits it in the air in that case. Because they, how many teams have a Mike Trout? How many teams have a Luis Robert to go cover that? you know, amount of ground. So I'm with you. Like I'm trying to talk you into Yasmani Grandal, comeback player of the year. Oh, we don't have, we We're don't have to do, that to do all that. Point. We don't have to do all that. We're going to get there. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Do you think Gonzo, do you think they're going to pull the Joey Gallo on him and put the left fielder in like shallow, right? I mean, that's going to be interesting. I think they could, but for me, when it comes to Yaz, I just feel like that herniated disc is the ticking time bomb that probably will come around mid to late June. Uh, between, the ticking t- between the RNA disc and the hamstring, I don't know what's going to hit first. But as far as even the financial situation of it with the him having the highest contract for 23, I mean, that should do enough to get him, get that motivation for him for that next contract you were, you were alluding to. But regardless, he's wearing a White Sox uniform. And considering that their backup option is Sebi Savala, I'm hoping that we can get as many no no disrespect to Sebi. Yeah, obviously. No. That's not on Sebi. That's on Han for constructing his roster. But um, at the same time, yeah, we need as many out or as many innings out of Grandal catching as possible because I don't like the depth that we have right now. And we'll we'll get more into Grandal behind the plate too as we maybe maybe not in this episode, but as we get later into spring training and towards opening day. We all saw that video with Michael Kopech. And Ethan Katz and everybody loving everything that's going on in spring training. Let's pump the brakes, though. I think right, with the bat, at go. least, with the bat, I feel like Grandal's due for, for a big bounce back. With that said, welcome into episode two of the Blackout Show. Thank you for joining us. I'm Slav Kobekovich, joined, as always, by Chris Gonzalez, Ozzy Gann Jr., and Jay uh, Targaryen. Yeah, we won't. Uh, the family lover. He's a big family man. They're yeah. very a big family man over here. Family guys. Number one. Uh, we got a lot to get to on this episode. Uh, we had White Sox baseball on NBC Sports Chicago. Um, we got a chance to see Lance Lynn get into it with Corbin Burns today against the Brewers. And guys, it was a pretty 
impressive showing overall by the White Sox. Um, let's start with Lynn because he's off to the World Baseball Classic soon enough. We saw that uh, I believe Adam Wainwright's going to be starting game one for Team USA. Lance Lynn might be their best starter by the end of this tournament. But, you know, against the Brewers, he looked uh, it was a it was a mixed bag off the top, but overall a pretty um, solid showing by Lynn. Jay, I know you you thought he was like lights out. Shoved was the word I'm looking for. It's March now, look, 7th. You can't shove on March 7th. Oh, you can shove on March 7th. Now, let me tell you something. Like, if you look, the box score doesn't do Lance Lynn justice because you see the four innings, you see the two hits, the five Ks, the one walk that was to Yelich to open up the game. But let me tell you, he put some breaking balls underneath Yelich's hands away from uh, uh, William Contreras, who's going to be a top 10 catcher in this league next year. Book it. Um, Lance Lynn looked awesome. I know, Slav, we talked in a group chat about his command. I'm not worried about the command. I just love the action on his pitches today. And, yes, uh, OJ, I'm going to blow my wad March 7th over Lance Lynn in spring training. So I'm just going to – Hey, gonna you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you this. You know what? I like I like what we saw. I'm not going to blow my wad that early. He's healthy. That's the number one thing. I'm going to put him in the in the Grandal situation because Lance Lynn is a guy who has done this. He's also going into his 12th season. I love veterans. Lance Lynn is going to be a guy that if he is healthy, he's going to throw 175-plus innings. He'll flirt with 200 again. If he is healthy, he will produce. He will throw the innings. He will have the ERA, and that's what I'm seeing right now. He looks a little bit ahead of schedule because he will be pitching for Team USA. While he's pitching with Team USA, are they going to win the tournament with that pitching staff? I don't know. But for him, it's going to be a huge building block to him starting off in a strong April as a healthy. For him, it's all about health. Can I the 30, 32 starts that I can? If Lance Lynn gets a, a, gets 30 starts for the Chicago White Sox this season, that makes him a contender. That's what I'm looking for in Lynn, which I saw today, a healthy Lance Lynn. Whew, yeah. Let me write that one down. There's yeah. We we keep the receipts. Yeah. That uh, receipts. I th- yeah, I, th- yeah, I really right. believe that. I, I put, I put it there. I'm not so, saying. I think. I think no one talks about that. If Lance Lynn throws 30 plus starts, which is a 30 is a lot of starts. If he gets 30 starts in today, as a starter, 30 right, is a lot of starts. That's a lot of starts. If he is throwing 30 starts for you, healthy, that means that the the pitch that he's being competitive. The White Sox are in a great situation. Because I think he's that big of a factor. Everyone's talking about, you know, the, the bottom of the, of the rotation, the top of the rotation. But he is such a big part of it. When he's healthy, the White Sox click on all cylinders. Look at the stats. I mean, you, but that's like, that's his, that's his calling card, right? Like when you talk about what you're going to expect from everybody in this rotation, I think at this point, you know what to expect from Dylan Cease. Yeah. I think at this point, you know what you're going to get out of um, – Lance Lynn, he's going to eat innings. He's probably going to go deeper than anybody else in this rotation in the games. He's not going to walk a ton of guys. He's going to get a handful of strikeouts, but he's he's your horse. And there's not many horses left in Major League Baseball. I think, gosh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that guarantees that the White Sox are going to be any good if you do get 30 starts out of them. I think they'll be competitive. Competitive no. is a word. In 2021... The year that they won the 93 game, Lance Lynn had 28 starts that no one talks about. 2022, 21 starts. That's a, well, that's yeah. A, I mean, obviously, he, the knee injury in the second half of 21 right. like derailed him. And his numbers, 
even then, like his numbers were so good in the first half. He was an all-star. And then they were still like, by the end of the season, they turned out to be like really good, not great numbers. He wasn't a Cy Young contender. I mean, I I don't think people talk about it because, I mean, he was hurt in the second half. His numbers dipped a little bit. He was hurt to start the season. His first few starts were rough, but on a team where that was like overly disappointing, he was the only guy that his last like 14 starts, I think he had like a two and a half ERA. He was one of the only guys that was like consistently performing. And I think that's why maybe he doesn't get the credit that he would otherwise get. Are yeah. you guys concerned at all that maybe he's ramping it up a little bit too early for a guy who has so many innings on his arm and on his body? Is no. that is that a concern that he's already like ready to go? I think he pitched 48 pitches today. Slob, I'm going to tell you right now on the south side, we got to set the tone. And what Lance Lynn is doing right now is setting the tone. You can't win a damn World Series. You got Brooks Boyer in March, but you can lose one. All right. So what what he has to do right now, Lance Lynn, nobody talks about it as one of Rick Hahn's best moves he's ever made. Because this imaginary window that we're talking about, he has kept my rotation afloat in a in a world full of uncertainty. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, OJ. Open it up. You got to open it up. And that that's what Lance Lynn did for the White Sox rotation, uh, a quality guy. I'm not worried about the innings load. I'm The only thing I'm worried about with Lance Lynn is him getting run support because he's an older guy. There's going to be times where he's going to have six innings with four runs. You know, he's going to give up a couple of homers. Can we support him in a situation and let him be the bridge between a no decision and a win? That's the question, but I have no concerns about Lance Lynn personally. Yeah, he's just a veteran that knows how to handle his arm in March in spring training and what's going to – he's just getting himself the rhythm going, his arm, you know, flowing. And I, th- I don't think a lot of people realize that he's a big part of the reason why the White Sox were even at 500 last season because he, in the second half when he was healthy, his stats were better than Cease. Yeah. So not a lot of people realize that, and that's the kind of guy that – like what you're saying, Slav, you can get 30 or sorry, not Slav, uh, junior. When you, you're saying, take credit for can it, you though. get, <laughs> yeah. Can you get 30 starts out of him? I mean, if he gives you 30 starts, you're definitely winning a division. Cause if you have a guy, you know, sees Kopech and Lynn as your three and they're healthy, they're going on paper. They have the best pitching staff. So, okay. But they've been on paper, the best team in the division for three years now. And what does yeah, that result? The last in? T- well, what it resulted was in 21 when the pitching staff was healthy, they won a division. And, and then what season, happened against Houston? They got exposed. Right. But a lot of, a lot of reason to the getting exposed well, well, when got... offense coming back and the core wasn't in, in sync with each other hitting wise. So, but again, like you're saying, Han didn't really do anything when they did get exposed. So, but to the credit we're getting at here is on Lance Lynn is, if you if he's healthy and he's competing like he normally does, like 19th or 21 when he's getting Cy Young votes, I mean that's a guy that you want on your side, eating up innings and making quality starts for your your team. That's fair. I think if man, I just like I I just feel so uh, hesitant to like give an absolute like saying if he makes 30 starts, the White Sox are going to win the division. I think it certainly goes a long way in helping, but. You know, maybe he goes the Jose Quintana well, route this year where he gets one or none or two, no. earns, uh, two runs also, of run support. You also have to realize, though, he's one of the only guys that's going to be eating up innings, going deeper into games, helping out, keeping that ballpen fresh. So, like, all these little factors go into 
how important of a role he really has in the middle of your, on the upper end to the middle of your rotation. So then let me ask if, if Lance right Lynn, Lynn, go ahead. No, I, would, I, would, no, I was going to say real quick this. I just saw a fan text that uh, shared this on the chat. I will bet my house that Lance Lynn will have more than 25 starts before the four guys that you just mentioned play 145 games. Because none <laughs> of them have done it. More than one. Did you see that? He wrote Eloy. He said, he said, Juan Diego Montenegro, 145. Shout out. Thank you for listening and watching. Thank you for listening. And this is, by the way, if, if, if this, if this happens, this team is winning the division because this team might win 95 games. If they get 145 out of those. That's what I'm saying. Robert's never played a hundred games in the big leagues. Jimenez hasn't played 145, like in three years. Moncada played a hundred last year. And TA has only played over 145 once in his life. So we're, this is this is where the difference lies. White Sox fans are worried about guys that are veterans, the Lins, the Grandals, guys that if they do their job, which they've been doing for a long time and are very successful, that part of the team is okay. The part that I'm worried about is these guys, the core, the 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 guys that are great on paper, the 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 high ceiling guys. They've never done it. They've never done it. Like they've never done it. So that's why I'm betting on Lance Lynn. On, on before anybody, even before my guy Cease, because Cease has never gone back into another year. Like this, this is completely unknown territory. Lancelin has been there. He knows what's up. He knows what he's going to do. He knows if he's healthy, he's going to compete. That's why I, I think I rather put my money on the veteran guys of like they're going to produce than the younger guys that you know are still up in the air. They've never really been doing it. I would agree that Lynn is probably the safest bet of the five guys in your rotation of what you're going to get out of him. I think. Like if I had to make one bet of anybody in this rotation, I would probably put my money on the fact that Lance Lynn's going to give you over 150 innings, which it's not a ton. Like, you know, 150 back in the day was nothing. I just, it's tough to guarantee 200 innings in this day of baseball. And we don't really know how Griffo is going to manage his starters, how he's going to manage his bullpen. Like Tony was pretty quick to yank guys at times for better or for worse, that's kind of irrelevant. We just don't know what Griffo is going to do with this staff right now. I do think if I had to make one bet, not that this is like a gambling show at all, but if I had to make one bet, I would bet that Lance Lynn's going to give you an ERA between three and four, and he's going to give you 170, let's say, innings or or more. Would you guys agree? Yes, absolutely. And then you got to think about this too, Slob. We're just talking about Lance Lynn competing for an all-star game, being a quality pitcher. His whip is going to I don't care run. about all-star games or Cy Youngs anymore. Like, it, it, it's like you got to take the mentality of this team. Like, Lucas Giolito said it in one of his interviews in this spring. Like, you can't say, like, oh, if we all just play really well, we're going to win the World Series. No, you got to have short-term goals. Nobody is like, I want to be an all-star this year. Maybe Giolito, it, it's going to make him a lot of money. But you can't – you have to just say – the next start, I'm going to go six innings and get a quality start. Like, that's that's all you can do well, as a player. Well, that's what I was getting to. Like, compare the White Sox talent around the major leagues. Like, they're, they're mid compared to everybody else. If you get a guy like Lance Lynn that's saying, all right, we're going to set the damn tone right now. We're going to outperform any projections, anything they got on paper, just because we're better than what we think they are. Lance Lynn is the one guy I can trust to push through and get guys over the hump. I would agree. Yeah, I'll give that, you that. that's all I was saying. It's it's not like, you know, I'm just trying to compete just to make the all-star team. I'm competing to make sure that my guys are recognized amongst the great. Their hard work is paying off. You know, their no-take-shit attitude is bringing to work every day. 
Like, that's the type of attitude Lance Lynn brought to the table from day one. He was that kid in St. Louis. You know what I'm saying? He was that hog in Texas. Now, in a situation to where he's back on the south side, he can grandfather us into a next era. All he has to do is just be Lance Lynn. Cease was an all-star last year, by the way. So he was the best yeah. Sox player. So the all-star games are overrated. Yeah. Exactly. Leave me alone. How how Cease is not an and to this day, I love that he What's wrong he still kind of brings it up. Like he he doesn't tell the media, like, oh yeah, you know, I'm pissed about it. But like you know that inside he's alluded to it enough where he's like, I am not happy that I was not an all-star. He's the only second runner up to the Cy Young to ever not make the all-star team. It's, it's is that, that accurate? It, I, I mean, it thought. makes sense. That's it makes sense. Yeah. Not only that, but like when he didn't get the nomination, he just went and shoved the twins and guardians going into the all-star yeah, break. That was amazing. <laughs> I was uh, there so for the other the, uh, the no hitter, the eight inning no hitter at at the rate. I was there actually. It what was... the hell is an eight inning no hitter? I was just gonna say so yeah. that doesn't exist. No, you mean a, you mean a, I'm saying that you mean a good start, a very, very good start. Complete game. He had com- no hits for eight innings. That's all uh, it was outstanding. That's it was all. an outstanding he, he, start. He did, he did, he did, he did a really, really good. But again, though, I, I, I agree with Slav on, on. I like the attitude, and I, I again, this is probably going to jump into our next segment because he's, this is what he is, is preaching. You got to have shorter goals of like you're, you're thinking about the week. Last year they were thinking about the parade and celebration, right. and they didn't really build to that. They need to think about like, okay, who do we got in the series? Win game one. You get win game one, you ain't getting swept. You win game two. What, what do you have to do? Like, I got to throw five innings. You got to catch the ball. You, they got to stop worrying about like, oh, what's TA going to do? What's this person going to do? Like, just worry about what you're doing. I think that they'll be better. And I think that's the attitude that they're trying to kind of build up in the kind of like moving forward out of spring training. And again, I, 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 I agree when people say spring training numbers don't matter. But from my experience, I rather see guys playing well in spring training and that carrying over to April and in the beginning of the game because I've seen teams that suck in spring training and then they suck in April just like very rarely do I see a team just be horrible and then just like click maybe like the Atlanta Braves or you know like teams like Houston I I very rarely see guys teams that are like trying to get better just be really really bad and then jump to being great in April I like the fact that they're playing better they're stealing bases you're seeing something different they're trying stuff it's different it's different they're they're delivering on their promise of we're going to try new things we're working on stuff that's been completely different than what you've been seeing the last eight years in Chicago. And something that stood out today is what we're going to get to next. The other side of the Lance Lynn pitching matchup today was Corbin Burns. The White Sox bats, they were pretty successful, and that leads us to Grifols Grounds. You know, I don't have a problem making decisions. I don't have a problem making a call on a – you know, on a, on a pitcher, I don't have a problem making a call on, on you know, on the, whatever our team needs at this particular moment. So, Junior, you kind of alluded to the, the way that this team looks a little bit different. And that's something that really stood out to me today, especially We've heard Pedro Grifol talk about it a few times, taking the extra. He wants the White Sox to do what the Guardians do. He wants them to take extra bases. He wants them to be, you know, to push defenses to make plays, make throws, steal bags, go from first to third. The fundamental, you know, and right now it's almost crazy that like that's what we consider old school baseball, just doing the little things right, taking advantage of what the, the opposition gives you. 
The White Sox did that today, and that's something that stood out. Before we get into Oscar Colas and the Corbin Burns at bat that everybody wants to talk about, what was your guys' impression of what you saw today? Granted, it's a small sample size. It's one game, but you know we only get a handful of games from spring training that we can watch here in Chicago. Um, not all of us are in San Diego or can get you know access <laughs> yeah. to all the other uh, games, but... I thought it was a totally different looking team. Granted, it wasn't the nine guys that we're going to see on opening day, at least not all of them. But uh, I was I was impressed, Junior, with with some of the things that they did, the small ball type stuff. Well, first of all, Pedro Grifol is not messing around. The guy is super focused. He's on every play. He's he, he's he's doing a job. Okay, which is awesome to see from a manager. Again, I know people wanted to see that. He's on top of stuff. Number one, that that's what I love. Number two, I don't care if the starting nine players are not there. That's an attitude that everybody in the roster needs to have from the guy that's going to get called off from AAA all the way up. They need to play that type of baseball. If anyone knows this team better than themselves, I think it's Pedro Griffol. And I think the reason that he has been preaching, take the base, steal, hit behind the runner. We got to play defense. We got to take the extra base is because he knows he is not a juggernaut like the Dodgers, like a Houston Astros where he is going to just out slug everyone and just be able to get away with errors. He knows that he's going to have to grind. He's been facing them again, 18 times in over three years. So he knows this team, what, how, what makes this team dangerous. So he's trying to put that in the, in the aspect of how do you approach the game? So you get a person like Burns, usually in spring training guys are extremely aggressive. They're out there just trying to hack like just wild men. That's what we saw. That's what we would see in, in spring trainings before. As we just go up there and just take four hacks they struck out. It was a horrible at bat. It's like you didn't see progress. Today, you got a really good pitcher. They took their time. It looked like the whatever plan the hitting coach put in place, which you rarely see in spring training, and whatever Pedro talked about what they were going to do, meaning a plan, got carried into the game. Hey, take a lot of pitches. Let's work the counts. Let's do this. Take the extra base. Their catcher's not that great. It looks like the plan that they implemented before the game was actually being executed which, first of all, is very rare today in the game of baseball. And number two, with the White Sox, that's something that I don't even know was the last time we've seen that. But they're just playing off of, like, we have a plan, not just we're going to go off our talents and see what happens. That's where I think we've been seeing the little difference. Just in spring training, a watching game, ball in the dirt, two guys are taking off. Before yeah. it would be, like, be like the guy on second took the third, but the guy at first was talking to Daryl Boston. Like, I feel like everyone <laughs> is on their game right now. Like, everyone knows that they don't want to make a mistake. And when they do make a mistake, you see that's like, oh, I made a mistake. Like, we're going to work on this. So that's what I like what I've seen so far. And what I, especially what I saw in today's game against probably the best pitch in the National League. Yeah, what uh, it was contagious throughout the lineup. What they did to Corbin Burns today, they milked him, is what I like to call it. They made him throw a strike. Like, the... I'm going to make that was, a gift, Junior. That's too good. Uh, yeah, we got to make that. <laughs> you're you're going to regret that one. <laughs> uh, Oscar Colas made Corbin Burns throw strikes today. It wasn't just that bat that he worked from, I think it was like one, two, to a walk. Uh, Burns started him off with a changeup and then threw a curveball right underneath his hand, stuff veteran pitchers do to young lefties. But the fastball recognition out of the hand for Oscar Colas was impressive to me because he it looked like he was taking it automatically like I was looking for a spot and Corbin Burns all afternoon couldn't hit his spot me and Slav once again we talked about it earlier in the chat like both of these guys were the command was a little bit off uh, they weren't hitting the glove square like they would want to do in April uh it's March but at the same time Oscar Colas's pitch re 
recognition was on full display today. I know he hit a couple more singles and it wasn't driving the ball, but the way he's hanging in at bats and he's not just giving pitcher strikes, uh, it's a sight to behold, to be honest with you. And hopefully the sky is the limit for this kid. One of the things that I've real quick, Gonzo, one of the things that I liked about the bat specifically that everybody's been talking about today, when all those pre and post game shows I did with Frank Thomas, one of the first things that he will say, like when Aloy is struggling or somebody else is struggling, when they let the ball get deep and they look it all the way back, right? And Colas, it would look like, and I, I'm not comparing them, but it looked like when Juan Soto's so locked in and he's seeing every pitch all the way back to the catcher's mitt. That's what I was impressed by. He started up, he started 2-0 in the count. He was up. He took a big rip. I think that was probably the one pitch where he decided I'm swinging no matter what. He's he's probably going to give me a fastball right there. It didn't happen. But the next few pitches, I think he followed one off and then he looked him real like it just looked like a professional at bat. And to me, like I immediately thought of when Frank would say all those times, like, okay, this guy's about to break out. I'm not concerned that the power is not there yet. Yeah, of course, we'd like to see it. But he's hitting like 450 or whatever it is couple walks like he's only struck out once in the spring and to me i think granted you don't know exactly who he's facing every single time probably not facing you know top starters all the time but he's been impressive so far gonzo yeah and for me when i go back to this game with corbin they didn't allow him to get comfortable like they just got men on base right away and that's going to be key because once you got runners on that pitch clock is just going to be a lot more quicker in the game action. And um, I got to give credit to both Burns and Lynn because with runners on, they weren't really, like, I feel like they were on edge, but they weren't really getting fizzled by the pitch clock. And with just keeping in track of the, the strategy going with runners on with only allowing two pickoffs. Um, but altogether, like that whole concept of the speed element of the game, that's going to be, and, you know, focused on here is, I like how they're building that chemistry now because one thing's for sure in that opening day series with Houston, I need to see that, that same focus of getting runners on and start making them worry with, you know, getting lost with runners on base when they're pitching with this pitch clock, pitch clock that's dwindling down on these, these pitchers with the hitters in the box ready to to go. So we'll see how it it, gets going here, but I'm excited um, with, you know, how these not only our own pitchers are going to react to the speed element of the game, but our, um, you know, these rival pitchers, um, especially in Houston with Fran Barr and some of these others, like it's going to be exciting. So we're three weeks from opening day. Do you guys feel confident enough saying right now that Colas has already won the starting job in right field? Hell yeah. What's up, Vincent? Hell yes. Hell yes. I think that. Oh, wow. Yes, 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 yes. You know why? Because the kid has done what you've asked of him to do. What I didn't want the White Sox to do is just put him there because he is your top prospect and not have him <clears> to compete out. He took that to heart and he's competed and he's made the team. So let's say Oscar Cole was coming in as a, as a spring training invitee, you know, like in previous years, Jake Lamb and all those guys, uh, you, need, you need to consider him. At this point, I think that the White Sox have done so many things that have not made fans happy. Um, I think Pedro Griffal is here to win right from the start. And you, you give him that gift of breaking camp, even with the two weeks. Just say, you know what? We'll deal with you later, and we'll pay you that, that one year 
we'll, we'll, we'll worry about that later. And you let him break camp as a reward because he has worked hard. And you don't want franchises think players don't talk about that. You know, if the kid deserves to be on the team and you know, if you keep him back, you're doing it to you control him another year. That doesn't make players happy. They're like, let the kid go there, be with us on opening day. That tells your team like, Hey, we're, we're serious, ready to go. He's done everything possible. Um, he's looked really good in the outfield better than I actually thought he would um, at, from, from what I've heard from, from scouts. Um, he's looked great in the at bats again. Is it spring training? Yes. But this is the only time that he has to show that he's, that he's able to play. He wasn't a September call up. This is the only time that he is able to compete and, and, and work for a job. And he's done a, a, a great job. And I, he's actually won me over going into spring training and saying he breaks off with the team because I was on the school of saying he doesn't break, make the team. He's probably not going to play one well spring training. So I'd be saying the same thing if it was the opposite. But to me, he earns the spot. He's a starting right fielder hitting uh, eighth or ninth, depending on what they decide to do. What if yeah. he goes over his next 12? You still take him there. Yeah, Unless somebody take, else, you still, you still, again, he's, he's competed. And the fact that it, it has not just been the hitting, he's had great at bats. He's, he's walking, he's, you know, he's moving the runners over. Uh, he's got, played great defense. Like he showcased to you. He's hustled everything. too. He's hustled. So With, that's like, like hustling in early March. Granted, you, of course you want to see that from a guy who's trying to win a starting job and make the opening day roster. But I mean, it's kind of impressive to see for a young kid he's who's a not guaranteed anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, you don't see guys, you know, really going all out, like beating out infield little nubbers to the pitcher's mound. Like that's, that's impressive. That leaves a, a, a positive impression, regardless of whether he makes the team or not. And that's what I like about him with the Grafal, that they're going to have Grafal's, that's his son. Okay. Everybody else, you're just adopting them. Colas and those guys that he's getting from the start, right. he's going he's gonna to groom them. On, he's never been with anybody else. So he's going to have a really good shot to break for them to go in together. Again, for the future of this, I'm not saying they're going to win World Series, but I think that they both are going to be in Chicago for multiple years. Just let them break camp together. Sorry, family man, for breaking up there. Yeah, and you know, and you know what's crazy is uh, <laughs> um, I talk with my guy King Mac about Oscar Colas right now, and one thing that sticks out is the work ethic. Like when you see every time he digs in the box, he's going up there with a plan. You're not. I'm not going to get beat, and I'm going to adjust on every breaking ball. He's only made two bad swings on breaking balls this whole spring. That's why he only struck out once. That's why he's batting over 400 because he's making contact with every pitch he can because he knows. I think he knows in his heart of hearts that, all right, I'm going to the show in three weeks. Let me prepare myself the best way possible to give the Chicago White Sox an offer they can't refuse. Like, I'm, I'm sick of the double A. Triple A is not going to help me. It's my time now. So, so we got a question from our guy, Ray the Barber. Came on episode one. Shout out to Ray. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening Love again. Uh, any worries about him not seeing quality MLB starting pitching except for today uh, off of Car uh, Corbin Burns? And that's kind of what I'm getting at with like maybe a little bit of concern that the power hasn't come because he's not been facing, you know, like the top tier echelon pitchers so far. But I think Jay and, uh, and OJ, to your point, like what you're seeing out of the at bat at least gives you confidence that that'll probably carry over against top pitching too. Yeah. If it's not who plays right field, here's the other question. If you had a right fielder, okay, you had signed somebody and that was like, you know, Coles is going to be like the backup guy and, you know, the, the fourth outfielder, like who's, who's going to beat him in his, who's, who is going to play over Coles right now that you take on that roster and say, he's going to play right field. 
Yeah. I mean, she, Sheets is the out. only other guy that's even in, in the question, right? I mean, uh, Billy, Billy. Billy? I don't, yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I think Billy's fighting for a spot, but like, I don't know if he even, God, it's tough. That's tough. For me, like, considering that you have so many pitchers going off to the World Baseball Classic, like, Colas right now, he's facing a lot of these arms that he's going to see when if you do start him in double, triple A, and he's handling it well right now. So, like, point. for me, I don't understand why you don't just allow him to be on the 26. You don't have to start every day in right field, but you can work there within a couple weeks. And at the same time, like, and I want to ask you this, Slav, because when I was watching the broadcast, Stone kept teeter-tottering on the Colas talk, saying, like, if he makes it, like, does he, is he already getting this information that he's might not be making camp I, right away? I would not be surprised. I honestly would not be surprised if they had already decided. And I no, Junior, I don't agree. I don't think it's service time. I don't think it's money. And if it is, then the White Sox, are, they're screwing this up. If he gives you your oh. best chance to win, if he gives you your best chance to win, you start him on opening day. You fuck the service time. Like, sorry. That's just, yeah. that's, a, that's right. a joke if that's what you're doing. But- I think it's a I think it's a fair question. Like Stone, I think, likes to not give he doesn't want to give it like show his hand, right? So if he knows, he's not gonna straight up say on March 7th in game three that's on air that he's not going to make it. I don't think he knows. I don't think the White Sox truly know yet. That's why I don't know. I don't think that they've decided already March 7th, like, all right, he's our guy. Like we're sticking with it. I think if he continues doing this for another week or 10 days or two weeks, that makes it much harder of a decision. I think they probably want to see a little bit more power first before making the call. But I mean, shoot, if he keeps hitting 500, it's hard not to have him just for the sake of like, maybe he helps you in those first couple of weeks of the season. April's schedule is not that easy. Yeah, and then you and you got to think if you look at all of his hits, like granted they're singles, but they're not. He's not barreling these balls up like he was out in front of a, a soft line drive in right field in front of Tyler Nathan this afternoon. Like, what if he starts barreling the ball up, like squaring the ball up? He's a strong guy. Like he's a cinder block filled with power. Like we're looking at a, we're looking at a kid right now who could let's just say a fantasy stat line of batting 250, 20 home runs, sixty RBIs with a 750 OPS that could help this fucking ball, ball club. No, absolutely. If you know, here's the thing, if the, like, here's my part when I, when I, when people talk about power. So if he had five home runs and the rest of it were strikeouts, would we, would we be like, wow, he's ready for the big leagues. That's where, what, that's the part where I'm concerned is there's a lot of swing and miss guys on this team. And I think with what Grafal's trying to do is, Hey, we can get base hits. We, we can, uh, the greatest team to ever play in my, in my lifetime is the New York Yankees. Okay, and they won a hundred and like they broke the record one hundred and five games, and no one on that team hit over thirty home runs. So home runs are, are a south side thing. Like we love home runs; that it is what it is. But you can build a team where you don't strike out a lot, you get a lot on base. He moves really well, so I think it's more of like they don't want to tell him that he made the team. Maybe they want him to work till like the last day. I think that two things need to happen: if he maintains, it's his job, or if someone literally just outplays him. Like someone just goes off like the last two weeks of spring training, like a sheets. And it's like, okay, we might go with the more veteran of these two and like not make him a platoon player because he's too young and needs that at bat. But for today, if the season started today, he needs to be in the lineup because other than Grandal and uh, probably the next best hitter on the Sox, 
even though the, the White Sox have done pretty good offensively, he has been one of the shining stars. You know, we're not talking about Romy or we're not talking about Savala or like the other younger guys. We're talking about Colas and what he's producing. And he's the, the prospect right now that at this point, I, I was going to, I'm surprised he's done this well. I wasn't going to be okay with him being like, you know, struggling and having to go back. Like I was open to that because it happens. But right now he's competing. And if the season started today, he'd be in right field. Yeah. And for me, I'm just, I'm just worried about the contact, which at to this point, like, you know, these teams have the pitching, you know, the scouting reports against them and they're just going at him, and he's just taking what he's given and he's just shooting it through the infield. So for me, I, I feel the power is going to come. And right now with his with the contact he's making, I just think they're going to start to pitch more to his strengths and the power will come. So like, what I see out of Colas, I love right now. And I'm just hoping that, um, like what you said earlier, Junior, in episode one with allowing Pedro to make his own decisions, I want him to make this decision because he is the best option right now. And I don't want this hypocritical Hanga and front office savvy here and playing with service time when he is your best option and you got to let him blossom on his own development. You can't just tear totter with that. And let him prove himself that he can't make this roster. Cause from what I'm seeing right now, I'm liking the contact that he's making, he's getting on base. And, and another thing that like stone brought up is like there, he, um, they were saying, I think he was alluding to what Pedro was saying with, he needs to hit his cutoff men. And I just feel like that's like such an escape goat right now. Cause there's so many outfielders like Gavin sheets that needs to work on that as well. So like, why are we just yeah. using these escape yeah. goat? Like it's just, excuses and i don't want to see that when when han himself says that we're going to have a parade off of this roster and core he built together so um and again like i know we alluded to it in episode one but if Colos wasn't going to be on the opening roster then why didn't you do something this offseason to put someone there serviceable that is going to get you know use that money to get better production than sheets to start the season um if it's not going to be Colos especially when you want to fight for a division. It just doesn't make sense if he doesn't make the roster, if he's the best option. The optics of it from the outside, like you said, it, it makes it seem like they've done everything in their power to give him the opportunity to win the job. And right now he's done absolutely nothing to not win the job. So final vote, Gonzo, yes or no, Colas opening day right fielder? Opening day, no. Oh, Junior? I think he'll be on the bench, but not. But so. he'll make the opening day roster. He'll make the final. Oh, opening day. My bad. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to say this right here. This is going to be the first Pedro Griffal battle with the front office. If it's up to Pedro, he's a starting right fielder. If he's not the starting right fielder, I already know who's making the decisions and who's making the lineup. That's going to be my tell right there. That's going to be one of my tells because I can, I can point. tell already that he, this, he wants what this kid does. And by the way, he's better than everybody out there in the outfield right now defensively. He's but anybody you put out there other than Billy, he's better than all those guys defensively. And Billy's only better because he can he's run faster than him. But catching the ball, being an outfield with his speed, he's better than all those guys that they have out there. So that's gonna be my tell. That's gonna be a big tell if he is a starting right fielder because I think that in Pedro just falls little lineup that he puts under his bed when he goes to bed that he is playing right field opening day. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I mean like. Uh, well, my guy, King Mac, I got a couple bets against Oscar Colas, and I want him to do great. But, um, yeah, he's making the opening day. Because, like like I said, like you can't 
find a better right field option. Gavin Sheets is not putting enough pressure on the front office to say, hold off on a little bit. Like, let's just be honest here. Oscar Colas is the second best outfielder in the White Sox organization. Like if it second, wasn't, he's the second best outfielder. Defensively or overall? Just overall. Like Eloy is a DH. Okay. So who's number one and who's number two? Oh, Luis Robert and Oscar Colas. So you got Colas over Andrew Benatendi already. Yes. I, Andrew Benatendi, remind, hey, me, wow. remind you, is the highest paid fran, uh, free agent in White Sox franchise history. <laughs> I know. And you have this guy who's not played a single day in Major League Baseball yet as already better than him. What does... But if that's the case, then he's all he's got to be your right fielder. He has to be the right fielder. Like there's a, like, for example, there's a few things about Oscar Colas that jumps off the table. Throwing arm, natural power. Now he's making consistent contact. With Andrew Benintendi, what jumps off the table? Nothing. Absolutely. But there's a track record. But you know, around. you know what he's gonna give you. That's the difference. Well, yeah. Like I, I mean, I've seen like twenty to twenty-five bombs in Boston from Benintendi, but this is still like, how high is his ceiling compared to Oscar Colas on both sides? I think that's fair. I think that he just reminds me, again, a lot of the younger people. I think he's like a Maglio Ordonez. Ozzy Guillen got in a battle with Ooh. the front office because I'm just saying the way that he is a prospect, that he is looking, that he is a future, there's no one in that position to battle it out. There's no, like, Abreu and Vaughn and, and who's going to be here. And it's like there's no one. And there hasn't been anyone for a long time. We, we, we've been on Tinder for right fielders. We've dated every single person since Jermaine died, trying to fill in that spot. Every single year, we don't have a right fielder. We, we haven't homegrown it. We haven't paid for it. We've, we've, we've tried every single thing. And his is like the first homegrown talent right in the perfect moment for him to go. And he's actually producing to play himself. For them to just ignore that completely is going to be hard. Like he might be a guy that he might be in the spot from the beginning, like just be able to just play out a long time with the Chicago White Sox. And again, I, I agree with Gonzo. Like, it doesn't mean that when you're an opening day roster and you break camp and you play game one, it doesn't mean that you have to play the next 25 games in a row. You can, you, you can you know, platoon him. You can, you know, do a matchup, but he's on the team. You're getting him to get used to playing big league baseball. I always believe in this, guys. Big league baseball is big, big league baseball. You can be in Charlotte and AAA. That's not the same as playing uh, a weekend series versus – the the Cleveland Indian the Cleveland Guardians coming into town and you got my guy Naylor five bucks well, I got the five bucks yes and you got my guy Naylor you know doing the baby run like that intensity he needs to be he needs to go out there feel the one hundred eight you know crowd be able to play outfield in the south side in a big moment he's not learning that in AAA I'm sorry so if he's ready to at least develop and start grinding it out you bring him out there that's why I used to hate the uh, COVID season that's why I hated it because when you're playing in an empty stadium or like in front of two thousand people doesn't get you ready for the big leagues the big leagues is the big leagues for a reason and i think that he's at that point where it's now like he, if he stays in the minor leagues he'll hit 500 for the rest of his life he needs to step that and be like am i a big league guy and that's why i like him i i would agree with the three of you though i don't i'm hesitant to say he's won the job so far it's just you know in three weeks a lot can change because they've only been in camp for three weeks so if things go south i guess i wouldn't be surprised but at this point, it's hard to say he's not been the best right fielder for this team so far and projects to be, you know, by the start of the season. So good for him. Keep it up. I think that's what everybody wants to see. Nobody wants to see him fail, obviously. Let's, uh, let's see if he can keep it up and post-World Baseball Classic what happens. You know, he's got the tools to do it. 
And the nice thing is he won't, it's not like he's going to be like Andrew Vaughn, you know, right up there in the middle of the lineup right away. He can hit six, seven, eight, and there's not really a ton of pressure on him to be a big producer right off the top. Uh, speaking of production, who Jose Abreu, our guy, oh, made boy. some comments about the White Sox. Uh, Steve Greenberg of the Chicago Sun-Times posted this feature uh, on March 3rd, a few days ago. Got this interview with Jose Abreu on, on life with the Astros. Uh, allow me to indulge in a few quotes from our man Pito. Oh, <clears throat> I think sometimes talking about the past can bring a lot of animosity, but I think the best way I can put it is just that we weren't a real family talking about the White Sox here, Abreu. And I'm hoping maybe the Sox can get to a situation where a lot of the guys there that do deserve to be in a good situation, they can have it there and be able to win. But I don't really have too much more to say about that. These guys here, now referencing his current team, the Astros, they are a real family. Obviously, I can see why the Astros organization has had as much success as they've had the last couple years. Then he also said, uh, in regards to him leaving the White Sox, sometimes when you're at a place where maybe you're not being respected to the point where you think you should be, you just have to go somewhere else. Ooh, so White Sox Twitter was on fire the other day after this article came out. Um, before we get into the reason that everybody threw him under the bus with the so, so-called leadership, episode one, if you haven't seen it already, go back, listen to it. Ozzy Guillen Sr. joined us and he told us Abreu's leadership was BS. That was Ooh. something that was... Um, made up essentially by people wanting him to be a leader just because he was the best player and he was a veteran. Abreu's not the most vocal guy. Maybe he was a leader to some of the younger guys. You know, you know, we've heard Moncada say, you know, Abreu helped him and Luis Robert and blah, blah, blah. But as far as like true leadership, your vocal leadership, your Paul Canerco types, whatever, man, people threw Abreu under the bus. And I personally think that is absolute BS. Uh, it's not his fault that you made him out to be somebody that he wasn't. He worked his ass off, played his ass off, played hurt, tried to play 162, wanted to play 162 every single year for nine years, gave everything to the city of Chicago and to this organization, did not want to leave. The last time that he was a free agent before this past year when he left, he basically told the White Sox, I'm not leaving. And every single day gave himself less and less leverage with his agent and with the team as far as contract negotiations go. Abreu is a White Sox franchise legend. For people to turn on him because of these comments where he's being honest, where he's being honest, that is not fair to what this man did for you for 10 years in this city. And that really, really upset me. I, it didn't surprise me because there's so many short-sighted people, uh, especially on social media, but man, all, everything that this guy did, he goes to a better situation where he's likely going to win a whole lot more than the White Sox and probably be appreciated maybe a little bit more than he was here or at least with a certain part of the fan base. It's a shame that people turned on him because of these comments, which are absolutely true. The White Sox are not a family. That clubhouse is not a family. It's, it's just a fact. We've heard it countless times from countless people. You can tell me all you want about how much they back each other up and they love each other and that blah, blah, blah. It didn't show last year, and there's a reason that that had a lot to do with why this team failed. Give Jose Abreu the credit he deserves. Stop labeling people leaders when they aren't actually 
deserving of it or don't necessarily even want to be leaders. Um, it's a shame that these people have turned on Abreu because he was honest and everything he said was a fact. And absolutely. A a absolutely. You are 100% right. But there was a couple of things that I did not like about the comments. Again, I knew that he was going to say that. Number one, he's full of shit saying that the Houston Astros are a family because he's been there. <laughs> that's, yeah. I'll get, yeah, yeah. Like, like, come on. Like, he's been, been there because of, hours, That's right? what I'm saying, though. So, like, they're just replacing one Cuban with the other. Like, they're, 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 <laughs> they're a great team. They don't even know. They don't even know. Like, they're like, who's Jose Abreu? He's at first. Like, they're they're a machine, okay? And and they just came off uh, – they just came off a very big controversy. And I bet that brought them together more. What I think what Jose Abreu was talking about, we're not a family. And I think that he used the word family specifically – because he was targeting yep. one of the players, the shortstop, uh, mainly, is that the, Jose Abreu is a person that leads by example. There's different types of leaders, okay? And Jose Abreu is a guy that doesn't have to be vocal, but he brought every single day something to the table, meaning every single day he showed up at the stadium and he played 162 games, and he expected his teammates to be able to go and do the same as he did. Like, do as I do, and you'll be great. I don't think what he didn't like was that the other leadership and everything that they consider other leaders – was all talk, okay? Everyone else is all talk. Family, the new word is togetherness. Change the game. And it's like players do it and then marketing grabs it. And then obviously we, media and bloggers, everybody runs with it and we make memes and we make hashtags and because that's part of what we do for a living and that's awesome, but it's great for us. But from when you're building a culture as a player, you're like, this is BS. We're just saying that we're going to win the fight. We're just saying that, but we have to actually go and do it. We have to back it up. And that's where I think of Abreu, that's the type of leader that he was. He shows up at the game and he backs it up. He's like, I'm here 24-7. I'm not hiding when we're losing. I'm not not showing up. I'm playing hurt. I'm playing through pain. That's where I think that he's saying we need something better here because we keep saying that we're great, but we're really not. And I do feel disrespected because now I'm doing all these great things and you probably could have kept me. We probably could have done some things differently. But you couldn't keep me, okay? Uh, you didn't. Maybe you. This whole rumor of like he wouldn't DH, which I've heard through the rumblings that it's not true. That that's a fake story, and he was not very happy about that. That oh, we're not signing him back because he won't DH. It's like no one's ever talked to him. So that's the part I think of Brayu. People just assume like if you're if, if you if there's a if there's trust and there's real leadership from your skipper from your front office, you tell Brayu and say, hey man, you're going to be the DH. Like, you're going to do this. Do you think it was easy for Ozzie Guillen in 2005 to go tell Frank Thomas, the greatest player in White Sox history, his good friend, okay, former teammate, hey, man, this is going to be your new role. And Frank only, and Frank only did it and took it. I'm sure he wasn't happy. He wasn't like, hey, man, I'm, this is my new role. Like, nobody is. But he respected the decision. I think that's what Abreu is missing and saying they deserve better because we've done all this talk, but no one's ever gone in and say, this is what we have to do. The front office has never stepped in. Okay, they do on the papers, but no one's maybe maybe they've never done it in, in, in the clubhouse. Okay, maybe no one's told a player this is what it's going to be like. They just let things go and things go. And maybe that's what's frustrating him because now everyone's blaming him and him saying, wait a minute, I produced every single year that I was there and I might have only produced 75 runs because I got moved in the lineup. The team wasn't very good. So not to put it all on me saying that I was a failure. Wait a minute. Everybody look yourselves in the mirror. So that's my rant. And my rant for the White Sox fans. We were literally screaming every single day, every time he got a hit, build him a statue, okay? Yep. Do you want to talk about what affects free agency? Okay, and people talk about this guy won't play for Tony La Russa, or this guy won't come here, or this one won't come here. 
this type of action is what affects teams in free agency. Players are at home and saying, oh, my God, Jose Abreu, Mr. White Sox, does not get along with the front office, and they keep going down the list. They're like, why would I go there? You, if I, you want me to go there, you're overpaying me. Like, that's that's the level of – this is the sort of things, the sort of, like, rumors and, and back office talk that affects the team in free agency, affects the teams with players. And here's the thing, guys, the Cuban click, okay? The fact that a Braves, like, I'm talking to these guys, and, you know, uh, Griffal needs to go check everyone's phone and say no one can talk to a Braves. Like, legitly, because that click needs to be dismantled. There needs it needs to be, to be destroyed. Unity. I'm saying though, there needs to be more unity, and maybe Grafal is that guy. But it was felt that there was a lot of breakup. And again, we all we've all known this it's not a secret. But the media wants to tell us that they're all family now. It's called togetherness. Let them just play baseball, man. They respect one another, play the game, and everyone's gonna love each other. You guys think the 2005 White Sox guys all like each other? Fans think that. Fans think that they do because they won together and they celebrate. Those half of those guys like each other half the time. The other time they're like, I can't stand so and so. I can't stand this guy. But you went and played. They couldn't stand the manager probably sometimes. My dad couldn't stand them. We couldn't like it's it's but they won because they respected each other and they went and did what they had to do. I think that's what a Bray you had. And unfortunately, I was expecting better from White Sox fans, but hey, what can you do? Well, I mean, you got to think about this too, Junior. Uh, let's just be perfectly honest. Throughout his career, Jose Abreu was the best off the offensive player in the division, period. So we've turned on that guy because of what he verbally said, not because of his OPS, not because of his RBIs, not because of the silver sluggers, not because of his, his COVID uh, MVP. We turned on him because what he said after the fact. That shows you the body of work of these people. And uh, – me personally, as far as losing Jose Abreu, I understand the business side of it, but it's still hard to replace your best offensive option with guys that you already got on the roster. Like, you didn't sign Andrew Benintendi to replace Jose Abreu. You know what I'm saying? So wherever we get that production from, it'll be amazing to me. Hopefully we can. But at the end of the day, we quite literally turned on a guy who's statue-worthy for the last decade. Over Don't say some we. Very true comments. Don't say we. Yeah. I'll speak for the whole fan base. Yeah, let's just generalize everybody. Let's just group us together, you know. Oh man. I, that was really frustrating. I mean, I'm not I I wasn't surprised that people turned on him, but at the same time, that's like shocking to me. That's they just... wanted honesty, though, Slav. They wanted honesty, and Abreu gave it to them. If Abreu would have been a bad team, he probably would have gone up in the top step, like in the beginning of last year, and said, "We're we. This is our problems, guys. This guy doesn't talk to this guy. This guy doesn't talk to that guy. We all hate each other. You know, we can't figure it out." In, in the year that Tony won, everything went perfect. It was healthy. When there's wins, there's no problems. You're losing. Everyone's like looking around, like who is to blame? So, where we would have hated Abreu if he did that while he was. Imagine if Abreu had said this. While wearing a White Sox uniform, what fans would have said? Oh, my God. Is this, a you know, it, it, it's the way that people express just themselves about you. And I think the fans need to understand that they didn't. I don't think that when I think Jose Abreu and I think the last eight years, I don't think that they lost because of Jose Abreu. That's not something that comes to my mind. I understand why they let him go because of Andrew Vaughn. And, again, there's a lot of money. And you put yourself in a situation making moves that you might have not brought him back. But from a fans, from a fan-based standpoint – you can't get mad because of what he said. Cause I don't think what he said was a lie or something that we were completely mesmerized by or that we didn't know. 
the fact that it was a little BS, but I think every player does that. It's like a little, you know, a little love to the new place you're at. It's like, oh, my new, it's like you have a new girlfriend or a new wife. Oh, she's so cool. She's so much better than my ex. And there's probably, there's a part of me, she's a bad cook. You know, you don't really like her doing certain things, but you're not going to mention that early on because you're not going to let everybody know that you kind of miss something at other places. So that part I understand. Uh, of course, of course, Houston's a family. They just won a World Series after after cheating in 2017. You imagine the the, the 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 how relaxed those guys are. They're probably laughing every single day. Like we did what was impossible. And this guy Abreu gets to be in that wave. Uh, his spring training is a lot easier because he has to have to deal with like you know what's hard going to spring training. What Griffol and the White Sox have to do is right now coming from a horrible season, going in every day and everyone's expecting. And there's four guys like us talking about every single at bat that you have against Burns and who's going to play here in Houston. They're just like, whatever, dude, it's the greatest. We just came from winning. So he doesn't have to talk deal to us with in that. October. Talk to us in October. That's what's on, hard that he doesn't have to deal with now. Yeah. And that comes on top of the, the Mike Clevenger situation. No, that's just whatever. Yeah. So speaking of Mike Clevenger, um, wow. I don't know that this is entirely over with yet. Uh, at least I don't think White Sox fans and media members will allow it to be over with. We found out the other day that Major League Baseball announced that their thorough 10-month-long investigation where they had interviewed 15 different people or more uh, came to a conclusion and that Major League Baseball decided that they would not be giving any discipline to Mike Clevenger. Now, let's just say straight up, honestly, that does not mean that Mike Clevenger did not do any of the things he allegedly was accused of doing. We do not know that still. However, it means that Major League Baseball did their due diligence, did their research, talked to everybody that was involved in the situation, and came to the conclusion there is not enough here for us to discipline Mike Clevenger. So he came out and released a statement via the MLB Players Association saying, I'm pleased that Major League Baseball has concluded its investigation. I had nothing to hide, cooperated fully with MLB. The situation has been stressful for my family, which is... An interesting thing to say considering some of the allegations and then i think uh i think i thank them for their strength and support i asked everyone not to rush to judgment until mlb's investigation was concluded and i appreciate everyone who had faith in me including the white Sox organization and my teammates i'm looking forward to the 2023 season and helping the white Sox win a championship this year uh in a in kind of a side clevenger related thing Lucas Giolito, I think that same day pitched in the spring um, and afterwards was asked about Clevenger and gave a baseball answer from a baseball player. He said, and I don't, I'm going to paraphrase, I apologize, I don't have it pulled up, but he basically said something along the lines of, you know, we're happy to have him in the rotation, glad it's over with, you know, we don't really think too much about it as players, that's just kind of outside noise, um, you know, we look forward to having him and helping him or having him help us win ball games. And everyone lost their goddamn minds at Lucas Giolito because they claimed it was insensitive. Now, I can see, I understand how this would come off as insensitive. And basically, he's saying that, you know, he's kind of defending it from the athlete perspective. It's not a distraction. And I do agree that the, the elephant in the room that people don't want to acknowledge is that Athletes don't care about what the hell other people are are going through and what they're dealing with, as long as they're helping them on the field. Lucas Giolito and all the other guys on the White Sox did not come to Camelback Ranch every morning going, God, I hope this Clevenger situation is going to get resolved soon. 
They don't care. They're there to play baseball. They're working on their craft. They're thinking and focusing on themselves. I think it's a shame that Giolito had to come and apologize, basically saying he's not trying to downplay it. He didn't mean to tell people that the outside noise was, you know, what they equivalent, uh, what their equivalent was to the allegations of domestic abuse, et cetera. It's just a shame that it's come to this. You can't say that it it's not a distraction because to the media and to the fans, it's more of a distraction than it probably actually is in that clubhouse. Part of that is speculation by me, but also athletes are not thinking about this stuff when they're on the field. I'm telling you for a fact, these guys aren't going to Camelback Ranch and every time they see Clevenger, they they see this cloud above his head that says, oh, potential domestic abuse allegation. Like they're there to do their job. I feel bad that Giolito had to apologize. And again, like this whole overreaction thing, if you've ever heard Lucas Giolito talk in the however many seasons he's been with the White Sox now, you would know how cerebral of a person he is, how thoughtful and how much his brain works differently than other normal athletes, so to speak. There is no way that you could have interpreted that as ill-intended by Giolito. This Clevenger thing, thankfully, for the time being, is over with. You know, Hopefully everybody gets asked and they spit out their opinion and then we can move on and focus on baseball. It's a shame. Like I understand the frustration. I understand why people are up in arms as to why the White Sox even signed him. It did not come up in their background check, which Rick Hahn mentioned multiple times on the first day that pitchers and catchers reported. I hope, guys, that this is just done and over with. And for his sake and for the White Sox sake and for the sake of everyone involved in this investigation, I hope that he didn't do any of it. I hope that I'm not saying that I hope that the accuser is lying. I'm just saying I hope that it was an exaggeration or whatever. I just hope that he's not the guy that he potentially could be. And more than that, I just hope that we can now focus and not point fingers at a guy who has basically been cleared and nothing was found out that he did anything wrong. Yeah, you don't have to like him. You you don't. I was I was gonna say like you don't have to like him and slob. The thing about it is everybody's so upset that the MLB didn't do anything. They're not even thinking about the fact. Oh well, thank God this lady possibly didn't get abused. They would rather wish she uh, she and her child got harmed than for Mike Clevenger to be able to walk free. That's the sick part. Like, why can't you have the glass half full? Like, I'm glad nobody got hurt eventually, even though that hasn't came out yet. But why we can't wish for a positive outcome just because you may or may not like the guy because of what you heard in the past? No, I agree. I I, I agree. That's the part where, again, when people are in a a relationship, let's just think about real life. That's just something that's super sensitive, number one. Um, which every player, there might be one or two kind of gossip queens that might want to talk about it. The other guys are probably going to drop the quote. And and they, I'm sure Clevenger knows. And he knows that there's guys in there that don't like him. And then there's guys that he might not like. And then there's guys that really don't care in the sense like, it's not my daughter, it's not my wife. Keep keep away from me because I can tell that you're toxic. And that's the majority of the guys. Guys, you know, they want to kind of mind their own business. They don't want to call somebody out. But you're not going to go and get invited over for, you know, for Sunday dinner. And that's when people right. really don't understand, like, why Ozzie Guillen was loved as a player. Because Ozzie had fun, and he let players be, and he never judged anyone, and he didn't want anybody to judge him. And I felt bad because if it, any anybody else in the White Sox would have made this comment, I would have been like, 
okay, I, you know, maybe you don't know where they're coming from, but this is Lucas Giolito. You know, the guy is, is super thoughtful of what he's saying. There's nothing in his background that would say this. And Lucas is the type of guy that if he probably could have not gone to sleep had he not apologized because he'd be laying in bed and saying, why are all these people thinking bad about me? I didn't, I, it wasn't my fault. Most other normal human beings would have been like, who cares? F the fans. But Lucas was like, literally felt that, oh my God, I might've not made a big deal about this. So the fact that it's over, meaning from a White Sox standpoint, now you can go and say, okay, MLB's done their investigation. Guys, Major League Baseball investigates and says, do we have a case so we cannot let this gentleman work? Okay, there need evidence. That does not change the fact that bad things couldn't have happened. So could there be things that, that she said that he has done in the past that he might need help for? That's a completely different story. And I'm sure the White Sox are dealing with those very internally. Okay, I'm sure that, you know, Clevenger can't be showing up every day hungover to the stadium without, you know, bringing up red flags. I'm sure they've talked to him about all those things. But from a, from a standpoint of, is he going to be suspended? Are we going to lose out on $12 million? Is he going to be our fifth starter? You don't have to worry about that. And I'm going to give credit to the Chicago White Sox, and fans are going to get mad about this, but everyone, including myself for a quick second, because it wasn't my money, I said, release him. Release him, not deal with it. You release him, you lose the $12 million, you move on, you give Davis or go sign somebody else. But they did it. And, I, and, and that takes courage because – in today's game, you feel the pressure from fans, from media. That's what you have to do, even before the investigation. I also give credit to Pedro Grifol because he's overcome his first tough decision. What's his tough decision? You have 26 guys on the active roster in your clubhouse with 25, 26 different personalities, and you got another, whatever, 20-something in the 40-man roster. Pedro Grifol could have came out. He's a father of, I think, three daughters and his wife. We saw them all come in. Pedro Grifol looks like a great family man. All his pictures are with his family. That's been the reputation. Rafal is like a number. Everyone's like Ozzy. He's a he's a great family man. I I can guarantee you. I'll put my life on the line that Pedro Rafal's not you know giving standing ovations for anything on domestic violence. So that's his personal life. But he's got to say, okay, I got 26 guys in my roster. One guy's in trouble that we're still investigating. He can't go out there and throw Clevenger under the bus. He can't say this guy did this, this guy did that, and then have other players say, man, you just you don't even know this guy. You're throwing him under the bus. That that's a huge clubhouse issue. He stood his ground, said, hey, we're going to let the investigation go. I believe Clevenger from what he's told me and what I've, the person that I've met, that there's been some type of misunderstanding, deals with the media very well, but does not lose his clubhouse. That takes gonads. We had A.J. Hinch claiming after being a big league manager for five, six years that he couldn't stop people from banging on a trash can because he felt pressure. Okay? Here we got Pedro Griffol, first-year managing – Domestic violence, not cheating in baseball, bigger deal with domestic violence. You got a brand new player, you got your new on a team, and the meat is coming after you, and you're dealing with it like you've been doing this for 30 years. So great job on that end, like way more mature than a lot of managers when it comes to that. And the clubhouse is noticing that, like, man, this guy really has my back. So when you have to have those conversations, they're going to go to him. So very well handled by Grafal, very well handled by by the White Sox. Clevenger now is on the Let's look at what you do now. Not baseball. He's going to get booed. He's probably, he might pitch bad. He might pitch good. But he needs to be very careful on where he's doing after games, what he's hanging out, what they catch him doing. Because right now, everyone is focused on him. Comments, anything that he does, he knows that he needs to walk a straight line. And that's what he's got to worry about. I think the pitching is going to come around. And he's going to get booed. You know, people are not going to like him. But you need to – you not liking him as a human being is okay because there's things that he might have done or you thought that he did – 
Uh, you might not like his haircut. You might not like his style. His, his windup is a little weird. That's fine. But the fact that this is his job, can he has the ability to go work every day? That's where I see this as like, can, is he allowed to play baseball? And I'm like, absolutely. He needs a second chance. Like, th There's guys that have been to jail, okay, and, and have been playing the league six months later. Like literally have done jail time felonies and have done here. So I think MLB, you got to trust them doing the investigation. And I think that they're not, they weren't going to take it lightly because let's be honest, if you investigate and you miss something and this girl comes out with a video or, or, or something really comes out, now you look really bad. Now it's not the White Sox. Now it's Major League Baseball. And this makes me think that the Bauer situation is that much worse because I was like, man, they cleared Clevenger that easy after a thorough investigation, but they still won't do it. Like they took that long for Bauer. And the Sox are keeping Clevenger, but the, no one wants to sign Bauer. You know, the talent level is very different. One's costing 12. The other one you can pretty much get for free with a, a McDonald's, you know, in Major League Baseball terms. So Incredible. That's what I, no, that's what I'm being serious. I'm like, that, that, that case now, I'm like, there must be some things in that case that we don't even want to know what's in there because how, how crazy it is. But I think Mike Clevenger is going to just take every day and show us that he's not that person, okay, um, and that it was a misunderstanding between couples. And that hopefully none of that happened. And 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 again, I don't think the media is going to apologize. I think fans are still going to hate him. They're going to hate him. And just hope that you're a White Sox fan and that Mike Clevenger is not pitching Game Seven of the World Series or or Game One Sixty Three. And you have to be at home deciding if you're going to root for him or not. Okay, because you're going to have to make a hard choice. But he's going to come out, and I, I just want to see his pitching performance now. And and hopefully he gets better off the field. And and the girl said, I just want him to get help. You know, maybe this is a cry for help from her. I want him to get better. By the way, he is still the father of her kid. That doesn't stop him so that hopefully they they find you know a way to reconcile and as, as adults and and figure it out but again I, i'm with i'm with jay i feel like a lot of people were like hoping that this was a true story and that you were going to ruin a career and and this poor girl had gone through that um i don't blame the score for having the girl i think it was great to giving her her chance to speak and have a voice um but i, I do think that clevenger has another shot at, at man at, at playing baseball again if he messes that chance up then that's a different story uh, but the white Sox again they were right uh they still overpay for him. I think so. 12 is a lot. 12 million is a lot of money, but we'll have to wait and see and see what they have because he has a huge, huge upside. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out that Major League Baseball doesn't play with a situation like this. Roldis Chapman, Addison Russell, Roberto Ozuna, Marcelo Ozuna, they all got popped immediately. So yep. if Mike Clevenger was in the wrong, MLB would have sniffed that shit out right quick. He wouldn't have pitched for the Padres. So I just wanted to say that. And then, two, you're talking about cutting Mike Clevenger, you're just going to eat. $12 million for the Chicago White Sox when you're saying it's hard to cut Leary at five and a half million dollars on the bench. So make it make fucking sense. Like you would rather make sure Leary's money's wrapped up, but you're willing to give away whoa, 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 whoa. double. You're willing to give away double on Mike Clevenger just because of a fake, uh, a fake investigation that just came out. Now he's playing baseball. By the way, Larry, why, 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 first of all, why, why, how did my guy Larry get into this whole... Because, because I mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier about cutting Larry and his salary. That's a, it's but different to cut a guy him. because of on the field and yeah. off the field. By the Those way, are two cut, totally do, separate. First of all, I'm going to go out here and take... You do not cut the franchise player. I want more respect. <laughs> Larry Legend. Larry Garcia has been with the White Sox as long as... We, we're, treating, we're treating a brave with disrespect in this week. So I will not take more disrespect to the second biggest franchise player on, on the record. By the way, if anything, if it goes on, if it goes on the record on years in the big leagues, well, Larry, I guess then Larry's the, is is the 
is the leader now. Because he's it, not getting it, a statue. So get that out of your head right now. I'm just I'm not saying he's getting a statue. I'm just saying like he he's been he's the longest tenured player he's on the White Sox. Tenure, so you respect him for that. He's like the fifth longest tenured in the whole organization after like Jerry, Rick, Kenny, and like Brooks Boyer. Yeah, he's by the way. So he needs he needs to have respect on there. By the way, I'm gonna say this right now off the bat. There's two way different reasons of why you cut someone, and the fact that the Chicago White Sox, the, the White Sox are not very good at putting baseball teams together historically, but on everything else, they're very good. They're very good at the PR game. They're very good at knowing what's going on in the back scenes. People might not think that they are. They're they they're very good at that. They they've been around. They, oh, now, as of lately, things have gone out. They're very good at keeping controlling. There's the still plenty that's gone happened the last couple of years that, that nobody no one, knows. About. No, that nobody knows about. And again, yeah. So they're very good at that. That's so more damage them, control than like good PR. Correct. That's what I mean. Damage. So that's what I mean. So the fact that they didn't go out and they, uh, by the way, they had a meeting. Jerry. Rick, Kenny, Brooks Boyer, everybody, uh, Scott Reifer, you know, the, 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 the leaders, they're sitting there and saying, they're looking at numbers and saying, is this worth the risk? If the White Sox knew, okay, that there might have been a chance, like that this was going to backfire on them, trust me, they would have said, cut ties, we'll figure out the money situation later. You know, yeah. maybe we won't we won't release a guy in the middle of the year. Maybe we won't sign somebody as a make a trade in the middle of the season. Maybe we go with one more minor leaguer. We go with one less coach. They would figure it out financially. But from what from their storyline and the pressure that they were going to get, trust me, there's enough power within the White Sox organization to know what Major League Baseball was investigating. You don't think they know somebody in Major League Baseball saying, "Hey, how's the investigation going?" Hey, dude, you know this is bad. Like, let get rid of him ASAP. Okay, so the fact that they were able to handle all that the way that they did, I know as fans, everyone's mad. No socks fest, white socks when they do this. No, the Tony thing. By the way, DUI, domestic violence. Tony got a DUI like 75 years old. This guy's a player, very different. Again, they knew about Tony. It wasn't like it was more of a legal thing. There wasn't, you know, Tony had gotten in a, in a drinking and driving accident and hurt somebody, and the person's coming and, you know, blaming Tony. I know that people are so upset about that, but this is a very different situation. Had there been a chance that the White Sox were going to look really bad, I think they would have cut him right away. Um, way different cutting him for performance than, than you could be making $100 million. If they think that you're going to hurt their brand, they'll, they'll just cut away and, and figure out how to deal with the money. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, at least they did their due diligence waiting this whole thing out because they could have did the knee-jerk situation. Like, there's a lot of fucking teams out there that would have just cut Mike Clevenger right when shit started getting hot. I would have. I just the pressure. Everybody was talking. But I'm saying, though, the pressure. Like, the pressure. Like, you have a brand-new manager, okay, that literally, like, it's just the hardest thing to do. He has daughters. Like, he literally walked into the press conference with his family. Like, I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about this. You have all this pressure from the media. Oh, you got to do the right thing. You haven't done the right thing in so long. You can easily say, you know what? Cut this guy. Not to mention, he never wore a White Sox uniform. So you're like, this guy's never worked for the White Sox. Cut him. You know, you don't have, you don't owe him anything, but they stood their ground. And again, I know people are upset. It worked out. And now, and now he's got to do the part. He's got to perform off the field and be a good human being. Okay. And he's got to perform on the field to be able to make that $12 million worth it and be more on the Lance Lynn side on player signings than, you know, than any other player that the White Sox have signed that they've had issues with. Something to keep in mind, the when Major League Baseball released this statement saying that, you know, the process was done, they're not going to discipline him, they added in there, he submitted to um, 
all the evaluations, like this was all part of the collective bargaining agreement. He has totally agreed to comply with everything Major League Baseball asks of him. I think he's probably acknowledged he needs to make some changes off the field. We know that there was the incident with him and Plesak and you know, now these allegations, there's a number of things off the field that raised red flags for Rick Hahn and the White Sox. Hahn acknowledged they did their due diligence. Nothing in regards to this specific allegation came up in that. This was something that popped up, I think now, what, 10 months ago? So that would have been June-ish, uh, May or June of last year. They did what they needed to do. They thought that that was over. It popped up again before spring training. And now theoretically it's done. Clevenger's got to comply with anything Major League Baseball needs in regards to whatever evaluations are part of this process. We're not downplaying the allegations. We're not downplaying the, uh, the seriousness of domestic violence, domestic abuse. The, the, the issue in this situation is that people were so quick to jump to conclusions and say, get rid of him, cut him, he's got long hair, he's a bad teammate. Okay, those are all things that do not even come close to the equivalent of a domestic violence case. Everyone seems to have done their research and came to the conclusion that there was not enough there. That doesn't mean that he's innocent. It means that there's not enough there, but you can't hold that over somebody. And I've seen so many people like on social media talking about cases where they have been uh, wrongly accused of certain things in a male-female relationship or domestic violence or whatever. And they were completely innocent and found innocent, but that cloud hangs over you forever. And that's to me the thing that is a little bit unfair to Clevenger. I think he wants to focus on baseball. He's agreed and he complied with everything. Like from what we know in the public, he has done nothing wrong to deserve any of this ire that he's gotten. Just a really bad relationship, man. Like, meaning for both people, again, you can't, when people get into relationships, that's a, such a, a sensitive thing. It's like, I'm married. First thing, if you get divorced, I always say this, all my friends that have gotten divorced are like, hey, I didn't beat her or I didn't cheat on her. But it was it was mutual. We didn't like each other. You know, because you don't want rumors to go out. That's because you're going to get judged, you know, futuristic-wise. And again, I think that, unfortunately, he's had a, 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 a kind of like a bad reputation. I don't know why, uh, because I think the whole please like thing and that, I was like, Part of it just because of a dumb rule that they had implemented at the time. I guess they had lied about it. But again, completely different to what he was being blamed for this time. This is a very, very more serious allegation. Something that if this would have been 35 years ago, I would have been like, okay, I can see the league not really caring because it was not something that was uh, in the forefront of what they were dealing with on a consistent basis. Uh, nowadays, they don't play around with that. This is something that, you know, there's a, if, I, if you make one, there's a phone number, by the way. If you make one phone call and you say, this happened on this date, you know, to this player with me, there's a case that's open. Like they'll investigate and find out if you're full of BS, but in a, like an investigation, like they at least look into it to see. And then once they know something and say, we're fully going to investigate you. So again, uh, we got to move on from it. I know that fans are going to remind them every other time. You got to be mature about it uh, and be able to, let's see, talk more baseball instead of this off the field uh, situation. As far as White Sox baseball goes, his arm is looking healthy and that's all that matters. Mm. Should cut his hair. Uh, you know what? I want to know RPM spin rate. No, oh, by the way, but no, but no. By the way, no stat cast. How do you not have stat cast like for the information for for all spring training games? What is this? 
What did it's you want? It's proprietary in spring training. Only the team's got it. Oscar Colas infield singles. What are you asking? The 14.9 miles per hour. They weren't hard. Trust me. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying that I was just disappointed because I was actually going to go in there and compare like Burns versus like, you know, Lynn and like, obviously, because they had been pitching well. Again, I was just going to look at the just, I thought they, I thought it was just provided for every single game. You know, I, I, don't I think it's got to be, it's all built into major league ballparks as far as I know. So no, no, it I'm is. So I'm sure. Yeah. Most stadiums probably don't have it in the minor leagues. Like you're poor. Right. Uh, all right, before we uh, before we wrap up episode two, we got the World Baseball Classic coming up soon. Uh, Yoan Moncada and Luis Robert have already uh, left to go represent uh, Team Cuba. Uh, we talked about Lance Lynn, who will be on Team USA. I think the White Sox in total have like eight guys. Uh, yeah. Jose Ruiz is going to be part of it. Tim Anderson. Um, I'm missing a couple guys. But uh, we wanted to go back to that bounce back poll. Jay, if you can pull that up. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the winner of the poll was Yoan Moncada with the third of the vote. Um, I know he's your boy. He had an exhibition and hit a bomb.com the other day. So that's good to see a little bit of pop um, from Moncada. What do, what do we think? Who, who are the favorites and what do we expect of our White Sox players uh, in the in the World Baseball Classic? Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt, players. Amen. That's number one, two, three, and four. Don't get Ochivo. Ochivo doesn't want to come get you. I, I think that don't get hurt. Um, I think it's a great honor. I think that all the players, uh, I think Eloy Jimenez made the best comment, which was funny but true. He said, uh, how are you going to deal with your, your your teammates when you go face them? And it's like, I like them now, but when we're on the field, they're my enemies. Um, I think a lot of people are going to, they don't realize the pride that these guys are going to represent. I think for Moncada and Robert, uh, Moncada and Robert are making history. 25 years ago, we never thought that two Cubans would be playing with the Cuban national team. So that could be something great for them of motivating them. And I think that they're going to be, I think from a playing standpoint, I think that helps them a lot more than spring training because you're playing competitive baseball. You're playing a win and lose. You're, you're actually going into spring training. Like I'm going to compete so against major start, league talent. I guess major league talent yes. that, you know, for has the a most part. Pep. they got a little pep on their step, you know, like Lance Lynn is probably going to be like, you know, you don't care until the other team starts cheering and you're like, you know what? This is Team USA. You hear the Hulk Hogan cry. You know, fans get into it. Now you're like, okay, we're pumped up. We want to win. That means his his start in in April, his first start, he's gonna be he's gonna be the juices will be flowing at least for those players. So if you're able to stay healthy, I love it. Um, out of everyone though, again, Dominican Republic is the favorite. They got a stacked team, USA always. But I think the team that no one's talking about. No, it's not my country, Venezuela. We're lucky we lead the group. I think it's actually wow. Japan. What we're lucky. The fuck? We're lucky we leave the group. Do look at the group. Puerto Rico's good. Venezuela's not that great. Our pitching is weak. The Japanese team, yeah, our team can hit. We can't hit. We can't pitch. We hit well. Our pitching's a little suspect. Uh, Japan. Labor. Japan. Japan. Japan has not only yeah, those are all hitters. Who's in, Acuna can't pitch. They're gonna have a great offense, horrible pitching. Yeah. Man. Martin Perez. Jose Ruiz will save them. He's the by, by the way, Jose Ruiz, <laughs> Jose Ruiz is, is one of the best pitchers that they have coming out of the bullpen. Again, it's going to be a hard tournament, but my team to be the, the dark horse that no one's talking about. They've they've been to the most. They've won the most top three finishes. They've won the most uh, games ever in WBC history. Their team looks on all cylinders already. Otani, Darvish are on the mound. They're not playing around. They got guys right now that I think would be MLB ready. The scouts are all over. Lars Newbar. Yeah. The, the Japan. They got a guy now. Yeah, they have an American-born player playing for Team Japan because obviously he's got Japanese roots. First time ever. I think Team Japan's legit. I saw the, the exhibition game they had. Very scary. Did 
Did you see the home run Otani hit? Uh, yes, I did. Which, it was like two inches off the ground to straightaway center, and he hit it like 470. Like, yeah. crazy they're pop. They're not messing around. They're not messing around. They're, and then they, they got the guy, the, the left fielder from Boston, Masataka yeah. Yoshida, and yeah. he had an yeah. RBI double, too. Honestly. We don't talk about the Red Sox on this show. No, we don't talk about the Red yeah. Sox on the show. This they is the Blackout Show, not the Red Sox show. Yeah, wow. we don't cheat. We don't cheat on Sox. You can't but talk I think the tribe then, uh, Junior. I, I hey, wait, was, did I hear well, did I get an El Chivo reference earlier? Did I hear that? I did. I did. I said, okay, you don't want to that's Chivo. one per episode. I'm just saying that you don't want to get, you don't want that, per, you don't want that Chivo to find you. Again, I think that staying healthy, and this is the thing, man. People are talking about like, you can't put Elo in bubble wrap. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't put Moncada in bubble wrap. You can't put T in bubble wrap. These guys need to learn how to play a lot of games, how to keep their legs fresh, how to stay healthy, how to play a little bit injured, like a little hurt, not injured, but know your body. So they need to, you know, grow up. They need to, be big boys and play again. You don't you don't want to big injuries like you know blowing up your your ACL and you miss a whole year. That's different. Tiny little bit, nagging injuries. My legs hurt. I'm tight. This is like a good a good tournament for them to grow up in baseball. Tim Anderson, man, he's going to be in a clubhouse with 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 top horses where he's not the center of attention. Okay, TA's been in the clubhouse with the White Sox. He's the biggest center. He's the best player there. Like his ego's like. It's big because it has to be when he's in the white and when he is in the American league in the, in the USA national team locker room is like trout goldsmith. Oh my God. Arenado. That's great for him. He's going to be hitting BP with these guys. Same thing with other players. So I think that that helps him mature. Cause I think no one's talked about this. The white Sox have an element, an element of maturity that they need, that they need to mature. Okay. And I'm not talking about them losing their chains and their swag. I'm talking about them maturing. Maturing from like, this is not just fun, but this is my job and I want to perform and I want to win that maturity, that, that step, I think the WBC acts like a stepping stone to them to get there. I don't think that this team is going to go deep in a playoff without maturity, even with all the talent that they have, but I think that they need to mature and the WBC is a great platform for them to be able to, to start showcasing. By the way, bet TA going off if you are a betting person, because lights, camera, action, Always national TV. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually doing the roulette, but I'm not just saying national TV. I think that TA is a very good player when it comes to like the, the, the showtime. So obviously you can bet on hits and whatnot. He's going to be one of my big bets, but I think he's going to have a great tournament. And, and this is going to be, this is going to carry over. Uh, I think that success in, into the season. And I think the hardest thing is going to be for Griffal to be able to keep those guys in the loop when they get back, you know, kind of bring them back to like whatever, you know, what the, the, the chemistry is trying to build. But other than that, I think that they'll be fine. I still think Venezuela is my dark horse. I think when you look at their pitching staff, like it doesn't like there's not a bunch of guys that just stick out to you. But would you be surprised if like Chassin or um, or uh, Carlos Luzardo Hernandez, Eduardo Rodriguez, like Luzardo, uh, Herman Marquez, like he's legit. Martin Perez, like had a really really good like first two thirds of the season last year. Like you just you kind of if 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 things go right like i wouldn't be surprised to see them make some noise they've obviously got some firepower um on on the offensive side too but um i'm i don't know i'm like i'm honorary venezuelan so like that that's just my squad like that's sandy Sandy alcantara sandy alcantara is pitching game one for dominican uh sorry about that (laughs) like like, no no i'm being again go get him in the bullpen yeah (laughs) they're like what's your strategy i'm like don't swing and and here's a by the way this is a great a great showcase one of the hardest things is going to be pitch counts again and this is why i like japan like you can't go out there and just 
use a pitcher for, you know, 150 pitches because, again, you don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, but I still think that, again, I think every country thinks that they can win. Um, I just feel like Venezuela is more like, again, Venezuela is like Croatia for World Cup. Like, if they make the top three, it's like, wow, that's huge. If they win it, it's like, oh, my God. A Dominican Republic is like Argentina, Brazil. Like, they're, they're like, they're the next level. So I think, like, Japan, USA, and Dominican Republic are probably in that top tier of, like, the juggernauts. I'm going to be rooting for Czech Republic when you're, when, when you're, when you have a real what? job. Dude, these guys have a real job. Guys had to take PTO, paid vacation to come play yeah. in the tournament. The guy's like, I'm an accountant, and now I'm throwing against, like, I'm, th- this is like what you make movies out of. Like, if I'm sure it, game, like Israel and Italy probably have a lot of guys like that. Yeah, so. that's awesome, though. Yeah. That's like, I think that's amazing. Like, I think that's like the coolest thing ever that you get to, like, you get to see just a guy who's a random guy just living his life, and you get to go face Mike Trout. Even if Mike Trout hits his 700 feet, you're going to be like wearing your, your colors of your country. Trust me, like, I'm trying to find out if like my, my family's like one fourth, one twenty-third Palestinian kind of go there and try <laughs> so, to like to like Junior, manage one Junior of those let me ask you. Junior, let me ask you. Let's just say you're on the roster for Venezuela. Do you does that help their chances of winning a a, a gold medal or what? Me for Venezuela? What am I gonna be like the the, the, the motivational coach? We have a better no, chance. No, you should be the manager. Probably play like left. No, no, no. I probably left out. Man. Left out. No, Venezuela, man. Venezuela's stacked. What's your I OPS? Mean, OPS. My OPS, I didn't walk a lot. I didn't. I, I, I'm old school baseball. I should have walked a lot more when I played. I was a oh free swinger. God. Yeah, I was like a, I was like a Joey Gallo free swinger with no pop. That's very scary. Um, but I'm being. I didn't strike out a lot, but I put the ball too much in play. Uh, but again, this is a good time to see uh, players move around, see guys in different in matchups. But I think it's going to be a great tournament. I know a lot of people don't like it. I'm a big fan. Uh, I like watching tonight. There's uh, the Cuba Netherlands games at 11 p.m. I'm all over that one. I'm saying we're gonna I think have two Americans. Guys. I think Americans don't like it. No, correct. Everybody else is like pumped. Everybody else is like, you know, guys. People don't realize there's like there's like a, the team from Sri Lanka. They just had the Asia Championships. There's there's teams in Sri Lanka. Uh, Palestinians have a team now. Like they're trying to. The game is growing. So this is really cool to be able to see. And again, one thing that I have to do is freshen up on my rules. Okay, because there is like, like you, you know, you, there's like a point system thing. So, you know, you, you can still score six up. You know, the old school rules don't don't apply to, to this tournament. Uh, but I think it's great, man. I think it's going to bring money to the game. It brings exposure to the game. Uh, and I think as a fan, I think it's really important. It's like our World Cup, regardless of what people think. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal for, for at least everybody outside the United States to go adds a little juice to the players too. Like it's, it's easy going through spring training day in, day out, yeah, same few facilities. Yeah. yeah. Now you get, you know, there's something on the line. You got a bunch of guys that you're a little bit unfamiliar with. You're, you're fighting for each other. Kind of uh, just a different vibe. Gonzo, who's your, who's your WBC favorites? You got it. You got to pick the click. Uh, I'm rolling with uh, Puerto Rico. Ooh. And Marcus Stroman. By the way, that's, that's in, uh, that's in our, that's in our group. Jay, Puerto Rico's in our group. That's one of the teams that worries me. They're getting smoked by the United States too. <laughs> we don't. They don't play them though. Puerto That's Rico. What... The, the 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 group is Dominican Republic. Right. The group of death is Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Israel. Ooh. Yeah. So it's not an easy group. People think like what? Israel. They think about like they're thinking like I'm like it, your grandparents can be Jewish and you can play on this team. <laughs> yeah, people are like, you know, and so the Puerto Rico's Puerto Rico Puerto Rico's like a lot of like unknown pitchers, but their offense is great. 
They got Yachty coaching it. So, like, on any given day, any of those teams can go out and take you out. You know, so all you need is, like, Nicaragua or, like, you know, Israel to pull off a win. You just got beat. Like, as well as, like, 0-1 as of right now in my head. We're facing Dominican. We win that game. It's like, whoa, that's huge. So that's the scary part because I think Puerto Rico is extremely underrated. I really do. Yeah. Hey, Stroman uh, in 2017 at the World Baseball Classic pitched for USA. And I think he won – I, he was tournament MVP or he won oh, he like won the it. final he game. Yeah, yeah. Like he, yeah. he pitched his ass off. Uh, so, I mean, that could be a little wild card. Gonzo, what do you think but, about the fact that there's eight guys on the White Sox playing in this? I mean, it's good competition that they need. I mean, they haven't been in good competition in a while. So the fact that they're going to be there getting good reps for solid competition, they're going to be – and the fact that we open – Opening day series is going to be against the Houston Astros. We, you know, we, these guys have to be ready for the competition. So they're getting good reps, and uh, hopefully they come with that energy. And I know you brought up Junior Mancada, which Mancada is a guy that he needs to get into that rhythm and start with, you know, that mindset and battling the challenges that he's probably going to have in those that shorts tournament. But um, he's a guy that needs to get hot and carry that over to. Uh, the opening day series because last thing I want to see is him, you know, go in a slump and then have that negative mindset going into opening day. Like I don't want to see that for him. And I just hope he uh, gets those reps. And like you said, being around those players, taking all that energy in, um, I hope that really takes him off for uh, hopefully he stays healthy too, but hopefully that keeps him going here and going into this uh, huge year for him. Cause He's got a big ass contract on the uh, on the books, so um, like Grandal, he's going to be financially motivated too. Um, but again, like I know, I, I heard Cease talk about not um, him deciding with his agent that it would be best not to be in the tournament for Team USA. As much as I want to see him in there again, like I hope he and the others stay healthy and he just continues working on his rhythm with runners on with the pitch clock here and that they're going to be battling here to get that timing down. Um, Cause for me with Dylan, it's not about what, what the stuff going into this season. I think it's more so of these, these new rules that could uh, get him frustrated in, in the game. Um, so all together, I'm uh, hoping for the best year. Cause uh, again, with spring training with all these guys at the world baseball uh, classic, you're going to see a lot of these prospects getting a lot of reps, and that's what gets me excited to watch guys like Ramos, Colas. I know Montgomery just got booted out of the 40, but there's some other guys on that list that you'll be seeing that it'll be nice to get watch them reps here in Arizona than elsewhere. Uh, all right, last thing before we uh, get out of here tonight for the Blackout Show in Episode 2, uh, it's our Stone Pony Tweet of the Week, and we got some sad news, but let's roll the clip. So normally as we do this blackout show, we want these to either be like really intense tweets or really funny tweets or something um, to kind of end the show on a lighter note. 
unfortunately this week we we don't have a light note to end on uh and i'm just gonna let steve stone sum this up um the baseball world lost a a really big personality the other day so i'm just gonna read steve stone's tweet here um our very small baseball fraternity lost a great broadcaster dave wills spent 11 seasons with the white Sox, was the radio play-by-play voice of the tampa bay rays dave always greeted us with a big smile and a booming voice he will be missed by all who knew him. Uh, Dave Wills, for those of you who don't know, uh, did White Sox radio, you know, before Chris Ranji was White Sox radio. Um, he was there actually for Ozzy Sr.'s first year as manager with the White Sox before he went over to Tampa in 05. I want to say nine seasons of White Sox radio. He's a local guy. Uh, I think he grew up in Oak Lawn, went to Elmhurst College. One of the like all-time good guys in the game of baseball, uh, a very, very tough loss for the game of baseball and, and for White Sox fans and for the city of Chicago. Um, rest in peace to Dave Wills, the Rays, the White Sox, all of the baseball community will certainly miss him. You know, Steve Stone kind of summed it up perfectly there. Um, just it's really tough when when one of the really good guys that nobody has anything but great things to say about him dies and he was only 58 years old. Sad, yeah. sad story. Fun guy too. Fun, fun, fun guy. Awesome dude. Uh, one of the only guys I think that we probably would have wished that would have been there in 2005 because he was so much fun that first year. And then obviously every time we went to Tampa and again, he's a local guy. We see him, all the local stuff. And I think that I didn't realize, again, I have a per- I had a personal relationship with him as my family. I did not realize until he passed away from a, from a, I always knew that he, a lot of people that liked, like, liked him that I was friends with, that I was friends with him. That was a well-known thing, but I did not realize how much he was respected amongst the people in the industry, how much he had helped younger guys that are now full-blown into their career. A lot of guys that, you know, they were talking about how, you know, they had, they had talked to him, they had worked with him, they had done stuff with him. So that was, that was awesome to hear because again, uh, that means that he was the same person always through and through, which was really cool because again, when, when you have everyone writing and tweeting about you and, in that way that, uh, you know, you meant a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. It, and it's like, I was talking to somebody earlier, like broadcasting and baseball is very important. The, the acoustics of the game, like people associated uh, Dave's voice with the game of baseball. This it's very rare that you, that you get that, you know, we talk about uh, Benetti and how he's not like really a baseball, like broadcaster. When you heard Dave's voice, that was really, the sound of the game and like I, I growing up I was a little bit beyond his years in Chicago but the way you guys talked about him and the way Stone Pony broke it down it was like this guy bent a lot to the airways for the team so it, it, it's a big loss man uh so rest in peace to Dave Wills um sad for the Tampa Bay Rays and that whole organization not just shoes to fill on the radio but shoes to fill every day the presence in the ballpark uh Major League Baseball was certainly missed Dave Wills. Thank you to all of you today who have tuned in to episode two. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube to the Guillen Grid where all of our live shows are available. Every time we tape, we are live on YouTube. Come join us. You can chime in on the comments. We appreciate everybody that was in the comments tonight. Uh, Juan Diego Montenegro, Venezuela. We're sticking with them. Thank you for, uh, for watching and chiming in on the whole episode. If you're listening to this in podcast form, great. We appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, Amazon, 
Apple Podcasts, pretty much all the major places where you get your podcasts. Subscribe and please leave us a good review. It helps other White Sox fans find our podcast. Join us every other Tuesday. Our next episode will be on the 21st of March here live on YouTube. Uh, We'll have plenty more to get to as we start whittling this roster down for the White Sox as we approach opening day against the Houston Astros. Uh, For Ozzie Guillen Jr., for Jay Targaryen, for Chris Gonzalez and Slav Kobekovic, thank you very much for listening to Episode 2 of The Blackout Show. We will see you in a couple weeks. Buenas noches.